And look with me at Jonah. It's on page 773 in, in my Bible. There's a pew Bible there if you don't have it. Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. It's near the end of the Old Testament there. 773. There's a table of contents in your Bible. Look it up if you need to. Never be ashamed of that. It's more important that you find where we are. The word of the Lord, verse 1, came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship that was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And Jonah can be, I said last week, Jonah can be a difficult book because you're so familiar with it. And I think in many ways you're too familiar with it. And when you're familiar with something, it's like Joel said, when you're familiar with something, you tend to overlook the details. You tend to miss a lot that's there. And, and in Jonah 1-2, I think, I think we see two questions for our own lives, two questions that Jonah had to deal with, but two questions that we're going to have to deal with. And by the way, if, if, if many of you have been asking, uh, as of this week, uh, all of our sermons will be podcasted, sermon.net forward slash ICO. You can go to iTunes uh, in, a, in, a, in the next few days. You should be able to go to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast and things like that. I, obviously, I'm not doing that for my aggrandizement. Those are free, but you know we have people that serve and people want to hear. My parents want to hear it, so so we did it. If they're the only two that want to listen to it, that'll be that'll be fine too. So uh, I don't know because it tells me how many people listen. <laughs> So anyway, I think as of Thursday, it was at 25, and I think 24 of those are me. So uh, trying to help my commissions check a little bit, those kickbacks. No, I'd get nothing from it. It's free. For all our visitors that don't understand, it's free. Sorry. So verse 2, I, I, think, I think there's a couple of questions here that, that I think that not only Jonah's having to deal with, but we're having to deal with. And, and I want us to contemplate these questions today, and I, and I hope you contemplate them for days to come, because they're questions that have, that really, uh, you guys just get the overflow of what I'm having to work through in my own life for months and months as I study these books and prepare for where we're going. And, and the question that arises here from Jonah 2, two questions, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, we already saw in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. We talked last week about the weight of that. The word of the Lord came. This was not just some whim. This was not just some fleeting thing. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. And we talked last week that God's commands are not just they're not just random do's and don'ts. They are revelations of His character. God reveals Himself in the form of commands because that reveals His character. When He says, go to Nineveh, He is revealing His character. And the question, the first question is this, do I have a love for the Lord and His Word that I will seek to obey it no matter what? That I will seek to obey it. That I will want to obey it. That I will desire to obey Do I have a love for the Lord? And I've worded that specifically because that's what it's going to boil down to. You see, Jonah was a prophet. And 2 Kings 14.25 really tells us about all we know 
about Jonah. You can look there later for the sake of time. But it, we do know he's a prophet. And a prophet is somebody who had the privilege of bringing the word of the Lord to the people. It was, they, he, would have been, he would have been a man that was greatly respected in town. He was looked upon favorably. A man of great spiritual influence. The word of the Lord would speak to a prophet. Their job was then to communicate that word to the people. That's his job. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. His job is to communicate that to the people. He's a religious man. He would have grown up in a religious society. He would have grown up knowing all the stories. He would have known all the facts. You would probably would not have wanted to get into a Bible trivia game with Jonah. He would have known all the answers. He would have looked real good on the outside. And in a sense, we're all a lot like Jonah. And that's we live in a very religious day. I hear it all the time, America is a Christian nation. I feel bad for the ones that aren't Christian nations. Everybody seems to be religious. Everybody's doing something. Everybody, if, if you want, we can, we can give you all the trivia answers, we know all the facts, we know all the stories. Everybody claims to be believing something. But this is what we learn from Jonah. You can be religious... You can grow up in a religious culture. You can do religious things and yet never have your heart transformed by the gospel. You can grow up in church your whole life. You can know all the stories. You can send your kids to every VBS there is known to man. You can do everything you want so that they look religious and you never, ever, ever have a heart that's transformed by the gospel. We can sit here every Sunday. We can go through all the motions and never have hearts that are gripped and transformed and and revolve around the gospel. That's the sad reality. And if you don't think we can look put together on the outside, that is the danger of religion. Religion will create a a group of people that look real good on the outside. Religion will do that. You'll look real put together, you'll look real smart, you'll seem like you got it all together. Jesus dealt with these people over and over in the New Testament. They were called Pharisees. Look with me at Matthew 23, verse 27, what he says about them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanliness. They looked religious. They were religious. They did everything you were supposed to do. They did nothing that you weren't supposed to do. They made sure of that. And Jesus repeatedly condemns them. When we settle for outward appearances, when we settle for superficial appearances, here's the deal, we're no use to anyone. We're no use to anyone. When we settle for outward appearances, when we settle for going through the motions, the reality is not only are we no use to anyone, we're actually a danger to those around us when we settle for outward appearances. We're going, to learn, we're going to see, Lord willing, next week, Jonah, he put himself and others in great danger with his religiosity, with his going through the motions, with his disobedience, with his choosing which of the commands that he would obey, which ones he wouldn't, who he would give grace to, who he wouldn't. He put other people's lives in danger. We said it last week, other people suffer from our sin and our disobedience. That's the reality. 
And so not only, are you da- not only are you a hindrance to yourself, you're a hypocrite, but you're dangerous to those around you. Jonah's job was to take the word of the Lord to the people. And he runs. He refuses. All outward appearances would have said that Jonah had it all together. Jonah's heart had serious problems. And that's what this boils down to. And the same is true for us. We are in this city, Odessa, and some of you come from West Chase, Lutz, Land Lakes, Trinity, Newport Ritchie. We're here for a reason. This city needs the gospel. This city, just like Nineveh, needs to repent of its wickedness. They need to turn from their own ways and turn to Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why the church exists. It's not just... So we can come on Sundays, gather, feel good about ourselves, and then go home and live our lives the way we want. No. It's so that we will make an impact on those around us. That's why we're here. That's why we go to mission trips. That's why we disciple. That's why we're serving the teachers at Odessa. That's why we tutor. That's why we do landscaping. That's why we do all the way to, it's specific to get the gospel out of this city. It's, it's to get the gospel to people who couldn't care less right now about who Jesus is. Worse than that, they probably think they know who He is. They may even think they're okay. They're not. God desires that the people of Odessa worship Him just like He desires the people of Nineveh that they worship Him. And He wants to use us. Everybody, everybody is worshiping something. The bottom line becomes this. Who who will you worship? Or what will you worship? And at the end of the day, there's only one person worthy of worship and His name is Jesus. And we're fall, people are falling for false gods. They're falling for idols. They're worshiping a whole lot of things. They need to be told, and we need to remind ourselves the truth of the gospel, that it's, salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone, period. Period. It's not good works. It's not good anything. It's everything that Jesus did. That's how I'm saved. And, and the question is this. Will we be like Jonah? And will we obey only when it feels right, or when it's easy, or when it's convenient, or will we obey the Word of God no matter what? Because God takes no pleasure, hear me, over and over and over in Scripture, God takes no pleasure when His people simply go through the motions thinking that is going to please Him, when they're just checking the box. Look with me at Isaiah 1, verses 11 through 15. God takes no pleasure in a people that are just going through the motions. Isaiah 1, verse 11, he says, What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread your hands out in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen because your hands are covered with blood. He says, don't come to me. Don't live like you want to live and then come to me and think, I hear you. Jesus says that all in the New Testament. He says, if any of you comes to the altar and realize there, while you're presenting your offering, that you someone has something against you, he says, leave your offering there and you go settle it. 
Don't think you can worship me with flawed relationships with your brothers and sisters. Don't think you can come worship me when, when your relationships with others are, are chaotic. Amos 5. Look at Amos 5. Well, we'll just look at it later. Amos 5 for the sake of time. He says almost the same thing. He says, I'm not having it. And the crux of the matter, the crux of the matter is this. How do you respond to the Word of the Lord? How do you respond to the Word of the Lord? Because in John 14, 15, Jesus says this, If you love me, you'll obey my commands. And at the end of the day, it all boils down to who do we love. It all boils down to our heart. Is our heart inclined to obedience? Or is it inclined to disobedience? Is it inclined to think of self? Or is it inclined to think of others? Your heart. It's a condition of the heart. And what he's saying here in Jonah is, Jonah, embrace my heart. First of all, I'm going to reveal my heart to you. Go to the Ninevites and preach to them that they would repent. That is my heart, that they would repent. My heart is that they would repent. And the question is this, do you know God's heart? Or have you truly embraced God's heart? Because I can know what His heart is all day long, but do you do it? Do you seek to follow through with it and pursue it? I can know all I know about Karen and all the while not pursue it. But do I pursue it? And Jonah knew everything that he needed to know about God. He was a prophet, but he did not embrace what he knew about God to be true. He didn't embrace it. And every single command of God reveals God's heart. And how I respond to those commands reveals my heart. This word reveals God's heart. How I respond to this word is a revelation of my heart. But we, we can look religious. We can look awesome when nothing is expected of us. When, when what we're required to do doesn't conflict with our nature, when it's easy, when the task before us makes sense, when what, when what God calls us to do jives with our flesh, when we think it adds up right, we will look real good. But what about the hard things? What about God, when God's Word calls on us to do the hard things? How do we respond? And you see, Jonah gets exposed here. And really, don't pick on Jonah. Jonah happens to be representative of the nation as a whole of Israel. God is exposing Israel's heart right here through the person of Jonah. And the reality is he's exposing my heart as well. Because I read this and I study this. I've said before, I am more like Jonah than I care to realize. I'm more like Jonah than I care to realize. And God says, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city. What, what was the big deal about Nineveh? Why, why would Nineveh invoke this kind of response from Jonah? Listen to me. Jo Nineveh was one of the biggest, the baddest, the cruelest city on the block. The area of Nineveh would have been something like 60 square miles, they say, which to us, maybe not that big, but it was a big deal at that time. It was a city that had fortified walls around it 100 feet high. The walls were so thick that three chariots could ride side by side around the walls of, the, around the walls of that city. There were over 200, there were, 100, there were 1,500 towers all around those walls, each tower 200 feet high. This is a major city. The, the population, 
could have been anywhere from hundreds of thousands to millions, historians say. We know in chapter 4, he says there's 120,000 people there that don't know the right hand from the left hand. It's possible that the, the population was vastly greater than that. Nineveh was known for its cruelty. Nineveh was known for its brutality. They, they would decapitate. They would dismember. They would go and capture a city. And they would, historians say that they would bury the people up to their necks in sand and literally let them die a slow death that way. That's Nineveh. They would go in other places and they would skin the people alive and hang their skins on the walls of the city so that everybody else could see what they had done. That, that's Nineveh. And, and they didn't just do that to other people. You know who their number one enemy was? Israel. Israel. One of their primary targets of this cruelty was Israel. It's more than likely that Jonah knew people who had suffered the wrath of the Ninevites. More than likely. That when God said, go to the Ninevites, names scrolled through his head of families who had suffered their wrath. And if you're like me, I find myself justifying Jonah's behavior. When you start learning about the Ninevites... When you start thinking about the cruelty, you start thinking, oh man, well, I don't blame Jonah for running. I wouldn't have gone. I would have wanted to do the same thing. I can understand why he felt like that. I can understand why he responded. The reality is, I've responded far greater to people who have done far less. I've ran and refused to pass on God's mercy and, and grace to people who haven't hurt me at all. And yet Jonah runs. It literally would be like asking somebody whose family member was killed in the Twin Towers to go share the gospel with the head of Al-Qaeda. That would be today's equivalent. Or, or telling a Jewish person, hey, I want you to go talk to Hitler about the grace of God. That's the kind of emotion that would have welled up in Jonah the second he heard the word Nineveh. Huge emotion. Jonah would have had every reason in the world to hate the Ninevites, to have personal bitterness against the Ninevites, to want nothing to do with them. He would have had every reason in the world. But, but what surprises me as you study this book is why Jonah ran. That's not why he ran. If you look over in chapter 4, verse 2, the reason Jonah ran is because he knew that God was a great God and he knew that they were going to repent if he went and talked to them. Jonah did not want them to repent. He's essentially saying, I want them to go to hell separated eternally from God because that's what they deserve. That's what they deserve. And Jonah ran because Jonah had a heart problem. He flat out did not want God, God's grace to fall on the Ninevites. He did not think the Ninevites were worthy of God's grace. He fled for no other reason than self-righteousness. Jonah had gotten to the point where he could be a recipient of God's grace, but he was going to judge who else was a recipient of God's grace. He could soak up God's forgiveness, but then he was going to be the determiner of who else got to soak up God's forgiveness. 
Jonah thought that he was worthy of God's forgiveness. You, you ever get to that point? We can get to that point. Where we think we were worthy of God forgiving us. That God should have forgave us. I mean, hey, we're, we're pretty good. That, that other people are not worthy of being forgiven. Their sins are worse than yours. That their transgressions are worse than yours. And I think that's the point. Jonah is exposing not only... God is exposing not, exposing not only Jonah's heart, but he, like I said, he's exposing the heart of a nation. He's showing you not only Jonah, but he's showing you his own people. That even though you look religious, even though you do religious things, even though I have chosen you, you do not have my heart. You have not embraced my heart. And God in His grace is graciously showing them what they're lacking, a new heart. And even though they had been chosen by God, the Jews were not representing Him as they ought to. They were not representing Him. They did not have the heart. When people saw them, they did not see an, actual, an accurate reflection of God. And that's where God is showing them. In His grace, He's exposing them. And in His love, God exposes, He exposes Jonah, He exposes Israel. And here's the reality. He will use circumstances in your life and in my life to expose our heart as well. He will expose our heart in His love. You look at Hebrews 12, verses 7-11. through We won't go there for a second time, but it says, God disciplines those He loved. Which one of you who receives discipline? He says, that discipline may be painful for a moment, but in the end it produces a heart of repentance. The reality is it says, if God doesn't discipline you for your sin, that passage says you are an illegitimate child. He disciplines those whom He loves. And see, it's really grace what God is doing here. God is exposing their hearts so that they could repent themselves. He's exposing their hearts so that they could change by His power. So, so that's the first question. Do you, want, do you come to the Word of God out of love, wanting to obey? But the second question is this. Is there anyone that you do not want to be a recipient of God's grace? Is there anyone in your life that you do not want to be a recipient of God's grace? And, and if we're honest, if we're honest with each other, what God asked Jonah to do here was dumb. Was crazy. It, it was beyond, it, it made no sense. What they had done to Israel, what they had done to others, makes no sense on our level. But neither did God choosing Israel make any sense. And neither did God sending His Son Jesus Christ to die for Chris Basham's sin make any sense. Or Barbara Amorati's sin. Or Joel Ray's sin. Or anyone else in this room. That didn't make sense. You know who deserved to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin? You and me. And yet God in His grace sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die the death that you and I deserve, to pay the penalty that you and I deserve, to pay the debt that you and I deserve, so that we could have the one thing that we can never earn on our own, and that's righteousness. Holiness. God did that for you and for me. And Jonah has forgotten this. And you and I forget it. And here's what we forget. Nobody deserves God's grace. But nobody is beyond God's grace. 
None of us deserve it, but nobody is beyond it. The, the Bible, if you look at the Bible, Israel was no joy to parent. Israel was not a good child. The, the Old Testament is a cycle of God blessing, they wonder, they get punished, they get disciplined, they fall in the hands of an enemy, God restores them. They, they, they deal. That is a cycle that goes on and on. They were not a good child. They were no joy. They consistently chased after idols. I mean, God is with Moses giving them the Ten Commandments. They're at the bottom of the mountain creating a golden calf to worship. That's this people. And yet Jonah forgets all that and thinks he's too good. Thinks that they deserve God's grace, but hey, the Ninevites, they don't deserve God's grace. Look at me a very telling passage about Israel. Look at Acts 7, verses 51 through 54. A very telling passage about the history of Israel. Stephen is, makes this indictment, and Stephen says in, in verse 51, You who are stiff-necked, listen to this. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your father did. Listen to this. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels, yet you did not keep it. That's their history. Categorically, God reminds Israel, you didn't choose me, I chose you. You were nobodies and I chose you. The only reason why anybody knows about you, the only reason why you're a nation the way you are is because of my grace. My grace. And the same goes for us. Ephesians 2.13 says, you who were far off were brought near by the grace of God. We weren't chosen because we were worthy. We, we, we weren't chosen because we warranted. We were chosen because of God's grace. God chose to send His Son to die on the cross to pay for the sins of the whole world out of grace, not because we warranted it or we deserved it. And we tend to forget that. Israel tended to forget that. Jonah tended to forget that. Jonah thought that he could warrant and demand mercy and forgiveness, but that others did not deserve that forgiveness. And we can come to this same point where we're good at taking the grace of God and we refuse to give the grace of God. Because received grace has absolutely no cost to us. We're very good at taking that. But given grace, given grace comes with high costs. Given grace comes with high costs. Our salvation was free to us. It came at a very high cost to our Savior. All of us were saved by grace and grace alone, and we will be judged, 1 Corinthians 4 says, on how we steward this grace. Israel was called to be a light to the other nations. What we see here in Jonah is the very first time God is issuing a call for the Israel people to go to the Jews. He was revealing His heart. It's the same call that we have. Be a light in the world. Go. God desires, 1 Timothy 2.4, that all would repent. That's His desire. He sent His Son because of that. 
God is a God of reconciliation. You look at Luke 14 through 16. In Luke 14, you have a lost sheep. Luke 15, you have a lost coin. Luke 16, you have a prodigal. Then you have, a, uh, then you have the reconciliation of accounts. Reconciliation of accounts. All those stories are something of value has been lost. And God is saying, look, if you lose something of value, do you not go after it? They said, absolutely we do. He says, the people who I value have wandered away like sheep. They've been lost like a coin. They've, they've wasted their inheritance like that son. I'm going after them. I want reconciliation. And, and, and you look in Luke 7 real quick. Luke 7, verse 40. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who, who forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, listen to this, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. The man or the woman who thinks they've been forgiven little... You know how I can tell? Because they respond with little love. This woman was, an, was, a, was a prostitute. Terrible. Huge debt. Simon, he was a good guy. And yet a sinner. And the degree to which we understand our own sinfulness and God's forgiveness is the degree to which we will forgive others. The degree to which we understand our own sinfulness is the degree to which we will forgive others of theirs. The person who struggles forgiving and loving does not understand how much they've been forgiven and how much they've been loved. And, and we see that in Jonah. Our tendency is to forget. Our tendency is to underestimate our own sinfulness and overestimate everybody else's sinfulness. We're very good at receiving God's forgiveness, not very good at giving it. And, and I have, again... I find myself making excuses for Jonah's disobedience in my own mind, even justifying it. I, I can find myself even on the flip side being critical of Jonah. You're a prophet. You knew better. What are you thinking? And yet at times I do the very same thing Jonah does. And some of you might as well. I, I, I'm critical of other people's disobedience. I justify my disobedience. Sometimes I may justify other people's disobedience. But the question I want to ask all of us today and that I want us to leave thinking is, who is your Nineveh? Number one, do you have a Nineveh? I bet you do. Who is it? I bet with many of us, names scroll through our minds of people that we need to forgive, that we need to deal with the relationship but that we won't. People that we know we need to go talk to about the Lord, but that we refuse. Because maybe the consequences are too high. Maybe the cost may be too high. 
Who's on your list that you refuse to love, refuse to show mercy to? It may be a former spouse. It may be a, a, the, spouse, the former spouse of a loved one. It may be a former boss. It may be a former friend, somebody that wounded you, hurt you. Who is it? Who is it that you don't want God's mercy and God's grace to fall upon? It could be yourself. You might be sitting here today thinking, you, you don't know what I've done, Chris. There's no way God could forgive me. I bet He can. And the proof of that is, He sent His Son to die on the cross. Let me tell you this. God wants you to know His love more than you want to know His love. The reason I know that is because He sent His Son. He sent His Son. And, and, and let me encourage you, don't be like Jonah. Because when you refuse to forgive and show mercy to other people, Luke 6 says the degree to which you show mercy and forgiveness is the degree to which you will be shown mercy and forgiveness. Look at Luke 6.38. We won't do there now. But he says, you want mercy heaped on you, you show mercy heaped on others. The degree to which you show mercy and forgiveness is the degree to which you're going to be shown mercy and forgiveness. Nothing, here's the written, nothing that you will ever do to someone else, nothing that anyone will ever do to you or me will measure up to what your sin did to Christ. No hurt, no offense, nothing that anyone will ever do to me will, will, will equal the debt that my sin created between me and God, and yet God forgave that in Christ Jesus by His grace. And that's exactly the point. If you want an illustration of that in your own time, go to Matthew 18. He paints it very clear for you. Matthew 18, starting in about verse 18 and to the end of that chapter. God will forgive you if you ask Him to, and He says, you go and do likewise. No matter what it costs, no matter what it takes, forgive. Romans 12.18 says, So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Do your part. Do your part. There, there are people in all of our lives that we simply have a hard time or don't want to forget. Don't go there. Don't be like Jonah. And as we close today, it may be some of you. You may think your sin is unforgivable. You may think there's no way God can forgive you. I, I dare you, I beg you to walk down this aisle and let me show you the love of God that's in the Bible. We're going to have a moment of invitation here in a minute. If you've never had your sin forgiven by the grace of God and the blood of God through Jesus Christ, I dare you to get out of that pew and come down here and talk to me. I beg you, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20. It could be church membership. Some of you might just be baptism. It might be just letting the world know you are who you are. But whatever it is, do it today, but don't go another day without giving the same mercy and the same forgiveness and the same grace that God showed you at Calvary. Don't do it. And that's what Jonah teaches us in Jonah 1-2. Lord.